Welcome back to This Film Not Rated, a branch of the Music City Drive-In Podcast Network, where we try to not rate what we watched this week while talking full spoilers. Regardless of whether or not one of us is sick and their voice is gone. There's a bit of a competition here where we try not to earn points in the This Film Not Rated gauntlet. Try and get out alive, and at the end of the season, the person with the fewest points wins. In fact, if you get out with no points, you'll be marked on the Not Rated Hall of Fame as someone who has accomplished the near impossible being objective about a movie. But the real reason we're here, Eric, what did you watch this week? Curtis, I've been watching a lot. Um, I've been getting back onto my New Year's resolution, which is to wipe out all of my to-watch lists. And that has meant watching movies that came out a long time ago and staying on top of new releases so that I can help with some of the things. So I'm going to talk about... Nope, I'm talking about just new movies. Sorry. <laughs> so uh, I want to talk about the Tinder swindler and I want to talk about uh, turning red, the new Pixar Disney Pixar movie. Okay. As, so is that out on uh, Disney plus? Yeah. Okay. It's, it's not it. when they do a Pixar collaboration, it's, it's for, it's well enough for, for you don't have to pay extra. It's not a premium thing. It's just part of it. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. And so uh, would you watch? Uh, I've watched three movies this week, uh, both of the Boondock Saints movies and Arrival. Oh, Arrival uh, by yeah. Denis Villeneuve. By Denis Villeneuve. Uh, um, of, of the Boondock Saints movies, I, I mostly want to talk about the first one. Yeah, well, I figured. Not that I'm going to get buzzed, but, you know. <laughs> so, um, all right, well, I'll tell you what. Why don't we talk about the Boondock Saints first? Because I... It's, it, I it hasn't been that long since I've seen that. What made you want to watch the Boondock Saints? Oh, well, it's getting close to St. Patty's Day, and I watch it every year for St. Patrick's Day. If only because it's the, the first movie starts on St. Patrick's Day. So it, it became kind of like a tradition for me at that point. Mm-hmm. But uh, well, a tradition going how long? Uh, probably back since I first started watching it uh, back in high school. Mm. so what do you like about it what makes it such a thing that's the thing when i first watched this movie i didn't know how i felt about it it wasn't until my second viewing that i actually liked it that uh uh, all the little bits in there that uh, kind of lead towards the reveal of of the father i i like the chemistry between uh norman reedus and uh, sean patrick flannery sean patrick flannery and then you have like the uh, wild man uh, Rocco in there. Who, David uh, Della Rocco. Same name as his character because yeah. he was he's a friend of, of Troy Duffy and he just kind of gave him a role for the movie. But uh, uh, the, the concept itself is an uh, interesting concept that everyone has thought about at some point, which they put into, which I actually wrote into the script is, what if you saw a, a new story and thought, uh, why doesn't someone just kill those motherfuckers? Something like, like I think that's yeah. almost a, a, a direct line. Sure. It's, it's, it's living a, a, a fantasy vicariously through the film. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think especially at a certain point in life, I, I agree with that, that there's a, there's an escapist sort of notion to it that organized crime, the deep seated, you know, there's the big speech that they have at the end, which is my probably, well, it's, it's, I have a couple different kinds of favorite parts now that I'm a little bit older, but uh, we urge you lesser forms of filth not to push the bounds and cross over into true corruption into our domain. Like that. Yeah. I don't know how they draw the line, but they right. do. And so it's just this idea that for a little bit, you can let go in your brain of, of the what if and believe there are people out there who are just like irredeemably evil. And now let's just wipe them off out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's a, the, there's a part in this that I'm always confused about, but the way it plays out in the very beginning of the film with, with the brothers in, in the church, walking up to the uh, Jesus statue. A oh part my of me, gosh. I'm a, so confused by that. Right. Because a, a, a part of me thinks that, well, based on the, the, the dialogue and how everyone is reacting, this is, like after they've started their killing spree. But then those lines come up during their uh, quote-unquote baptism scene inside the uh, jail cell. 
Yeah. It's so, I, okay. So that I don't understand that piece at all. There's this suggestion that something went on with them that people in the town know them and there's a reason why they're doing this thing. But like, as far as being like committed to that particular religion, the concept of leaving before before the service has ended the service has ended is a very bizarre non-committal action yeah and yet this then this person's like what are you doing and the person whispers to him to let them go and he's like oh i guess okay and then they leave you're right it implies that this is happening after they would have met their father yeah because of because it has to be it doesn't become public they don't have their identities public like that until the courtroom scene and and it's it's the lions at the end so if you think if i got the points i and then they walk away or something along those lines right right like they they do he makes the suggestion like i do think the monsignor is getting the point and then they walk off but what are they talking about like have they been do are these people who have been just like sort of guardian angels of their town like, and if that's the case, I want a TV show about that. Oh, yeah. About how they were doing it before they felt like they had a calling that gave them an easy reason to escalate. Yeah. That would be a really interesting story to me. But I don't know. They've been rolling, you know, green, the Boondock Saints 3 is greenlit. I think that's a good reason to talk about it as good as any. Oh, yeah. But for a long time, there also was in, in the progress of a, a, a TV show sort of prequel or some spinoff kind of thing. Yeah. Like, like if you follow the Facebook account, there's even merchandise and posters and things that are tied to this. And there you, there was a point where like, it has a name to it. I don't really want to look it up right now, but I don't know. So just, I, I'm just saying, like, so talk a little bit more. Tell me the movie itself more than, than that. Like, what do, what do you like about it? Uh, well, outside of those actors, I, um, uh, Willem Dafoe's character mm-hmm. is, 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 is always a highlight to me. Uh, the way he's introduced, he lets the detectives ramp, ramble on about their, cog- about their uh, uh, screwball theories. He insults them. Yeah. And then he goes into his own detective mode where he plays operatic music mm-hmm. as he's investigating the, the crime scene. And then from that point on, it's almost like he's... Uh, training the detectives to become better than they were. Mm-hmm. I think, I think there are three different types of people who would enjoy the Boondock Saints. Mm-hmm. There are people who would be a fan of Norman Reedus. Uh, mm-hmm. The people who would just love that concept of like the escape is sort of violent route for the, the brothers sort of camp of people. Yep. Then there's your fans whose favorite thing about the movie is Rocco who yeah. just love it as this sort of spin-off Quentin Tarantino toned violent celebration of of like a little more like unlock the chains and let me freely enjoy being this kind of hysteria violent kind of thing right like right kill the cat you know like that, <laughs> instead of save the cat um and then you have your third one, I think, which is the camp that I fall into, where your favorite thing about the movie, and in my opinion, the reason why the movie works still, mm-hmm. like on, on, on more than one point in my life, is, is Willem Dafoe. Yeah. Who is like, who turns, like he takes the attitude towards his character being homosexual and the way that he plays it, mm-hmm. turns it from being just characters from Boston being insensitive into a commentary on characters from Boston being insensitive. It takes the concept of the saints being what they are, and he's the character at the center questioning whether he's going to support them or not. Yeah. You know, like he, to me, he's fundamentally why the story has a little bit more thought and a little bit more to it than just the fantasy part of it yeah and like ultimately i I don't know what is the differences between the writing of the first one and the second one but the only real thing that i have to say about it is just there's this there's this scene that i think might be my favorite scene in the movie which is willem dafoe uh dressing as a woman and 
trying to seduce a guy into catching him off of his guard because they know that this extremely threatening, violent figure, Il Duce, is coming to attack the either the saints or somebody. I don't even think they're sure what he's coming to do. They just know that this person is unchained and he's, he's a threat. Yeah. And he's having he, part, it's part, if you pay attention to what the dialogue is, so you know what's written on the page versus what Willem Dafoe is doing just himself. Mm-hmm. He puts so much complications to like, I'm most confident when I'm in this suit what does that mean about me? But also he's pushing away from the, the to some people out there, this is giving too much credit to the Boondock Saints, but to me, it's not. Um, doing this thing that is outside of the societal norm, quote unquote. Yeah. Also at the same moment when he's looking in the mirror and he says, it's too on far. now. He starts saying too far. Yeah. But then he stops saying too far and says, it's on now. Yeah. And it's seeing himself in the mirror as this thing where he seems confident in himself and outside of things that he does that. But then the genius and the difference of the writing in that moment is this character, Il Duce, has this deep-seated traditional value of not harming women, which is the only reason Willem Dafoe survived the movie. (laughs) Yes. I love that. That whole little sequence is like yeah. the just like tradition versus non-tradition coexisting in like we traditionally have law enforcement, but now we're off the beaten path of that. And like all of it comes mm-hmm. together in this one little bit. Oh, anyway. Yeah. Like, uh, like, like his character's uh, sexual orientation kind of like plays into that as well, because his character is kind of, he starts out, like going for the mob and then as the movie gets on he gets more and more crazed that he can't figure out what's going on yeah and then he went and then then when he finds out that it's it's the people that he let off for uh self-defense that are causing everything yeah. he starts to question everything yeah and i if, if if i have to give a fault to the movie i think that's it i don't fully buy his his transition trans transition over to that side it seems a little bit too quick for me I I can understand that if, if there had been a little bit more in the beginning of what that like that confusion that we're talking about where they leave church and there's something going on in this community already. Uh-huh. Uh, Schmecker, that's his name, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah, gets Paul a, Maximilian Schmecker. He, he is if there had just been like a scene where he takes the assignment instead of being assigned to it. Because it's a community where nobody talks to the police and they sort of have their own law. Yeah. And you just got a little bit of a hint that he's like individual justice versus like larger policing. Right. Larger scale policing that you just put that seed in there that he's not sure. Because when he goes into like the confessional later, he admits that he's thought about before people cutting through all this red tape and all this kind of stuff. Yeah, he, he does. But that, that feels like like, well, like the writer trying to force stuff in to make it. I don't yes. think we saw it. I agree with you. I don't think we saw earlier that that's the case. We just saw him getting more and more upset that his system isn't working in a way that makes you feel like he wants it to work. And right. he's frustrated by the people around him for not doing their job enough for it to work. It's almost like Willem Dafoe, the reason he supports them is because all the cops are so dumb. That like, Oh, yeah. It's like, well, there's got to be something better. In which case, you would expect and be like, just turn yourselves in and become police officers. <laughs> like, I'll look the other way. Just do it. Like, yeah. Yeah. But I don't know. You know, I, I agree with that. Okay. But uh, oh, the score, like, 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 oh my enough, gosh. Like, like I'm, I'm, I'm not a big, big fan of, of rock and roll scores for, for uh, movies, but it weirdly works for, for, for this one. Well, it's Troy Duffy's band. Well, I don't know if it's his band, but it's the band he plays in. Okay. A part of me feels like because the film is like like in this like a uh, down and like dirty kind of grungy place, like the the rock uh, score kind of like meshes in with the surroundings. Yeah. Just a, just a little bit more than say a Ghost of Mars would. But then it's just it's that tune that I can still play over and over again in my head of the intro. Yeah. 
Yeah, the the blood of of Kalula or something like that. Yeah, the the, the opening titles song. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. anything makes me think of like St. Patrick's Day or or Irish Bostonian, it's it's that it's that. Yeah. Uh, other than shipping up to Boston, which is not in the movie, but like I can definitely imagine that sort of song, you know, in line with the rest of this. But but what would make you watch it again? Uh, well. If, if it ever becomes St. Patrick's Day again, because it's 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 a tradition. But like if, if ever I need if, if ever I need a getaway from a hard day of from a hard day of dealing with people that, I, that really annoy me. It's a great way of like dealing with that kind of uh, anger. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's a little more thoughtful than it gets credit for when it comes to uh, rights just a little bit of philosophy on what rights people have, like a a person's right to live, no matter how evil they get, or a person's right to follow a calling that they believe in. Like, I mean, there seems like this really clear line, but I think it's, it's, it's really smart to do the end role, like interview on the street sort of reaction to things. Yeah. That, that, that was a clever ending to, to show that, that the, they operate in. Yeah. It, it mixed it shows, reactions from the, uh, the actors. Yeah. Know, quotes, like, yeah. Like, like, like hammer home that they're operating in a, in a very moral gray area. Well, I don't know if the, the area is gray, but people's <laughs> acceptance of it is gray. And that's, that's the interesting part of it is by the time you get to the sequel, it's pretty much just accepted. They're going to do what they're going to do. And they're pretty much, you know, like any other person who just happens to not be working for an agency. Like I'm looking at, because I was putting these in a matrix earlier, I'm looking at posters for John wick. Right. All right. And I don't really see the difference between someone like John wick now, you know, like post retirement, John wick. Uh-huh. And the Boondock Saints. There's really not one, except for it's a little more personal. But at the same time, it's also their community and their personal beliefs on who dies and who doesn't. Yeah. So I don't know. So so uh, you watched a movie called The Tinder Swindler. I watched the documentary, and it is built up in a really, really. The, the way this movie built could have been a traditional like you 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 have like five minutes to introduce oh i lived this fantasy this guy swept in and he had all this money and he brought me together but then things turn south and like it drops and then you hear a horror story of what happened to her but no there's sort of a reflection in what i imagine is that this story builds almost the way it must have built in real life just in a very smaller scale uh-huh. there is this guy who was scanning through Tinder, finding women, showing off an extravagant lifestyle, and uh, starting up relationships with these women where he pays for them to have trips out and he meets them in person and dates them and spends money on them and does all of this stuff, but claims to be working for these high-profile industries like a diamond industry where they have he has like like villains like you know like diamond harvesting is a dangerous territory because people want to obtain these things illegally and all this kind of stuff so every once in a while he reach out to this woman and tell her that he's in danger from enemies and things and like bad things are going on and occasionally he'll start asking for money and asking her to max out credit cards and things like that in order to help take care of problems but then give her back more than the money that she spent on it Okay. And it goes back and forth like that. And then we transfer to a new woman who doesn't even date him, just starts to be around him and see him start to date another third girl where the same thing that happened to the first girl starts happening to her. And finally, what you find out is happening is basically there's in short this, the way they put it is like a Ponzi scheme where a guy who came from wealth just traffics money back and forth between women in order to live however he wants. And now he's been exposed. And now I don't think he's on Tinder anymore, but just the story of the unbelievable things this guy goes through and what evidence they had captured enough to put the guy in jail, ultimately to have the guy get out of jail within like five months of prison time. 
for like i don't even know what the exact charges were because basically he convinced women themselves to max out create new credit cards send tons of money back and forth just to different accounts that are unrelated to him so he's just facilitating trafficking not trafficking directly millions of dollars over time it's it sounds like 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 that'd be like a wire fraud thing it sounds like it'd be a a, a federal thing I, well, it was. It, that's the thing. One of the ladies finds out after she goes in to, to sort of admit what a massive credit card issues that she's she's been faced with is they break her, bring her in and sit her down and talk to her. And that's how she starts to find out this guy's been doing this for a long time under aliases and under a bunch of stuff. And he never worked for a diamond industry. And like it's it's this unbelievable high profile scam thing. And it's it's so what I one of the things I liked the most about this is it highlights the lack of responsibility and accountability that that hangs out there for a person like this. And the the work, the fact that this exists in and of itself is part of the work people are having to to do to still not get justice for being toyed with like that. And it's it's unbelievable, like the the. There is the idea that, that people's entire lives can be so predatory and self-serving is one of those times where you wake up and you wish the boondock saints were a thing. Like, <laughs> but no, you know, like, I don't think the guy deserves to die, but I, because I don't think that would help. I think what the guy deserves is to have to face people, apologize and accept responsibility for what he's done. And you know, the guy just knows that if he ever were to admit anything like this, that he faces like probably prison time for the rest of his life in multiple different locations. And he just, I don't know. So there's just, just no justice for this situation. But, um, you know, it, it ends with a note where they reached out to the guy for him to be part of the documentary. Mm-hmm. All they got is a voicemail. Oh, wow. Saying that he was going to sue the crap out of them if they tried to spread lies about him and blah, 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 blah. It's insane. It's insane. Like that, that, that is a ride that I think, I think it's really important for the information to spread. And like, so that again, it's, it's one of my favorite things. Like I don't like when a serial killer documentary romanticizes the serial killer and is like, how crazy is it that they got away with this? Mm-hmm. I like when a serial killer documentary gives the victims a chance to tell their story in a way that possibly helps other people notice warning signs and avoid things. And that's what this is. It feels like a documentary that exposes some kind of truth and gives people a chance to find a little piece of justice they're not getting. And ultimately I think that just like people watching it, I, I think that, it's good to be informed the extent people will go to to serve their own interests, especially when they get out of touch with empathy. Like everything that this guy uses this money for, uh-huh. doesn't he think the people he's ripping off would enjoy it too? How, how much do you have to think about yourself to just think, it's their money, but I have it so I get these things. And I'm going to sit next to them and I'm going to sleep with them Uh. and they don't have it. And I do like how sick, like, I don't know. I don't know. It just, so, so what, what would make you go back to watch this again? I would go back to watch this again for one to show it to people (laughs) (laughs) for two. I honestly think that this is a documentary does a good job. I think there's a lot recently of documentaries coming out that do a good job of breaking the narrative format of just delivering information with some dramatic beats thrown in there. You know, it like, it goes like through two thirds of this documentary sort of telling the story as it unfolded for the people involved. And then once you start to break down the truth about the guy, it goes back and starts to show you through different women's perspective, like what happened then it tells you its own compartmentalized story from one person on how she started to get back at him by convincing him that she could flip and sell some of his clothing to get him oh. some of the money he was asking for from her oh. and then keeping the money. It was great. 
like uh, there was there was there and she was like in the middle of the documentary probably one of my favorite parts she gets a little notification from ebay and one of his things has just sold she's like hey i got a little bit more (laughs) (laughs) oh it's it's because he's never going to admit it that's the only form in which this person is going to get a certain kind of justice and i i just it's funny. There's like a parallel now. I don't know if I'm thinking about like in, in terms of justice, just because you brought up the boondock saints, but I'm just like, it looks so different. You know, life isn't yeah. that easy. So take tackling that question really of how do we address people who are like this? Ah, that's why I would. Okay. So, um, so you finally watched Arrival. I finally watched Arrival. Let's talk about that for a second. So why did you finally watch Arrival? Uh, uh, I've I've seen a great deal of of Denis Villeneuve's movies at this point. And this is one that I've, that I missed out on in, in what, 2016 is when it came out? I think so. Uh, so I just oh, yeah. decided to finally watch it. And the first thing that I noticed is like, like even before Prisoners, this is the movie that really shows the kind of, of filmmaker that, 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 that Danny Villeneuve would go on to become. Cause there are a lot of like wide angle sweeping shots going throughout everything. Um, I liked Amy Adams as, and, and, and Jeremy Renner as, as the main two leads, uh, just the, the simple concept of we have first contact. How do we communicate with these aliens? Let's get a, a person who is, who is a master in, in languages on board to help us communicate and how vital communication is not, not uh, in, in like all facets. Cause mm-hmm. that, like, like they think that's, that's what the uh, core message that the movie is trying to say is, is that with, with, with without communication, we're just, uh, we're just uh, animals with weapons that will kill each other in an, in an instant. Sure. And without that understanding, without uh, being able to get that message across and with, and, and, and to be understand and, and to be able to understand with perfect clarity, that is uh, what, what is most important. And, it, and then on top of that, you, you get this like little sense of, of uh if you could see your whole life, would, would you change anything? And you have this like very, because throughout the entire movie, spoilers, because of course we, we, because we talk spoilers, Amy Adams, is, is character is getting these little flashes and images of this little girl. She doesn't know who the little girl is. As the movie goes on, it's about that the halfway point where I came to realize, oh, oh, she's seeing visions of the future. She's seeing her own daughter. And she gets to see how her daughter dies. And she has to choose whether or not to go through the decision to bring her daughter to into existence, go through all of that pain, all, all, all that misery. And is it worth it? Are the, are the happy moments worth the misery? And for her character, it is, but that's just like a small, like a small slice out of like a much bigger pie that, that is a rival. Yeah. To frame it a different way. Cause I love this about it. It, it starts off with, with little hints of what you're going to see. Mm-hmm. But Arrival builds almost a procedural movie of how to break down communication with aliens. And I love how alien the aliens are. I love that their communication is so abstract from how we communicate. Right. And I love the way they're cracking it down and breaking it down and all of that. And it's almost like it's smuggling a story underneath of it until it exposes this thing that you have in this circular i mean like almost represented by the way they communicate in an unended unstarted circle yeah it's just like a message blurted out in that circle and that's sort of what without thinking of time in a linear fashion your life is yeah and so when you start to communicate in this circular format the narrative you're watching shifts and the way that she sees her life shifts and you realize that this is a story about I I almost wish this had a little bit more of a Spielberg sort of uh, optimism to it. Kind of like a Close Encounters 
kind of thing? I don't know about specifically Close Encounters, but like E.T., Close Encounters, um, it's it's not that it would be at one specific tone, but it's just, there's this little glint of wonder that is a little bit dry in this one because the characters are sort of approaching the information objectively until it starts to matter to them emotionally. Yeah. And so I almost sort of wish there was a third character, but I also don't because I love how tight this movie was and I like Denny Villeneuve's personal stamp. Yeah. But I just think there's this little little idea of, yes, you have to face this choice like you're talking about, uh-huh. but it's also sort of like, uh, like a way to put a little glint of, of, of hope and inspiration in why do it anyways. Uh-huh. Like in the, in the, and it's not that it's pessimistic. I don't think it's nihilistic. I just think it's very dry, very factual. So I think if there could be a, just a, a touch of like sugar to help the medicine go down, <laughs> I, I, I would like that. And I think you see that someone once someone pointed out to me recently, and I don't remember if it was through reading something or, or what, that Spielberg oftentimes has a fractured family at the center of the movies that he makes. Yeah. And there is something healing for the family that is brought out by this, this force they have to face. And you sort of have an echo of that here, an inspiration of that here. I just wish that it carried a little bit more of that healing factor. But otherwise, I no, I just absolutely love the aesthetic, the the production design. I love alien aliens, man. Yeah. Just like really alien foreign. Why why is that thing doing that to its face? Oh, well, the closest perception of that to us is that's eating. And we're like, what? <laughs> that's eating? Like, I love that. I love that, but yeah. you know, we're trying to communicate with it by going with our mouths flapping like weird meat puppets. And it's like, okay, here, circle, 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 circle. Like, well, it, it's, it's, it's not just that it's, it's, it's Amy Adams. Re, it's her character's re- realization that, well, I'm never going to be able to speak this. Maybe there's a written form. Let's see if we can, let's see if we can get them to write. And that happens to work. Yep. So, and then, it's, and then it's just a massive, like, mathematical breakdown of yeah. what of what the circles mean. Yeah, and I love that. I love that really kind of grounded approach to that aspect of it. Huh. So, uh, so what would make you watch it again? Oh God, uh, the uh, I haven't admittedly watched it again. I haven't been drawn to it the same way I've been drawn to Prisoners or, on occasion, Enemy. Uh-huh. Um. And oh. even like Blade Runner 2049, every once in a while, I just like the music and tone of that. Yeah. Uh, but And that's the thing with, with a lot of Denis Villeneuve's films, I, I've never gone back to watch them a second time. But if I were to go back to watch this one a second time, it would, it would, it would be for, for the tone of the film overall and for the theming of everything going on. Mm. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about with Arrival? Um, Please, uh, Forrest Whitaker played a a, a role. I don't Just know. Asking like, you to save me from the gauntlet. I don't want to. Uh, <laughs> so we're doing picks. Disney Pixar's Turning Red. All right. So Eric for the gauntlet, Turning Red. Is this a good or a bad movie? So I'm going to try to take the gauntlet a little more seriously than we have been because shout out to Matt Fox. I think him taking it a little more seriously got me a little bit more hyped and felt a little more, a little more, what's the word? Confident in this approach. Okay. So I'm going to see if I can get through this one and get on our own hall of fame. Okay. All right. Try. There's been a lot of discourse about turning red, but for the most part, I believe that people watching this movie will experience more positive emotions than negative emotions. 
Okay. I think that works. Um, what was your favorite scene from the movie? There was a cluster of scenes, not necessarily a sequence, but a cluster of scenes that caused me to realize that it wasn't following a formula that's familiar to other movies, which usually progresses as a parent telling the child it's okay to be themselves and not bow to peer pressure. There are scenes in this movie that are a twist on that and change things and change what the meaning of a, a character being their individual self is. And so my favorite scene in the movie is difficult to identify. Okay. That is an objective statement. <clears throat> what would you remove from uh, turning red? Oh, this is hard because I have a subjective answer to this, a really strong <laughs> subjective answer to this. And the fact that I have a subjective answer to this is not what someone of my generation would expect me to have. Because the aspect that I might remove from the movie relies on iconography from the early 2000s. I don't know whether that's objective or not. It does rely on iconography <laughs> in the early 2000s. And because of that, I would believe that someone of my generation would not expect me, a member of the same generation, to have the opinion I have about removing iconography from the early 2000s. So you're saying that because of, of your generation, people would not expect you to remove this specific scene. I think I'm getting buzzed for this one. I think you're getting buzzed for this one. <laughs> okay. okay. Here goes All right. To, to make sense of what I'm saying, this movie is set in, I think, 2002. And I think the reason they did that was to change the dynamic from a modern day kids going to parties, uh, having cell phones and that kind of thing, and bring in a familiar element to the writers of living in that time of Saturday morning cartoons and boy bands. Okay. There's, there's a big plot element of this is this boy band that these girls are, are a fan of. And uh, I just don't think you needed, I think you could tell the same story in a way that's relatable to kids that are actually that age today. All right. Who is the best actor? Who is the worst actor? It is difficult for me, especially with vo vocal performances, uh -huh. to recognize what counts as good or bad especially when the animators are able to work around the voice performance and as a result of these facts about how animating around voices works i can't tell you in any sort of grading scale who is best or worse all right so it, so i'm not just copping out no, on the question no. i'm trying to explain right. factually why i can't okay. answer yeah so uh, give your favorite quote from the movie. My favorite quote from Turning Red comes from the father and is related to embracing someone's personal flaws. So I've told you what it is. And I can also tell you factually that is in a scene where he is alone with his daughter in her room. Okay. I think that works. I think that works. Uh, what is the movie missing? I would have enjoyed a scene including the 
main character, her mother, and her grandmother, where they briefly discussed discuss why certain aspects of their personality present differently from generation to generation. Hmm. Like living in a different time period results in a different personal aspect results in differences in their red pandas. Okay. Is a scene I would have enjoyed. Okay. What did you enjoy from the story? I, as I mentioned earlier, did not expect a particular presentation of a familiar notion that a person one day has to grow up and become their own person. Um, I believe that the movie... helped me understand how a second generation immigrant forming their own identity might be different from someone of my gender, race, and age and experience. That works. Yeah. All right. Did you learn anything about making movies from watching this? I now believe that after Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse and Turning Red, uh-huh. there is a possibility of large budget exploration of mixing iconography and styles of animation from different subgenres of that art. Okay. I can explain that more once I've escaped this hellhole. Right. Uh, what would make you watch this again? Uh, I would watch this again if I was feeling dragged down by decisions other people are making. Like if I was just frustrated on the way home from work because of traffic Uh and obsessed with decisions that I felt were inappropriate from the drivers around me, I believe that this movie could remind me why it's okay that that happened. Now, the most serious question on the gauntlet, would Nicolas Cage have made this a better movie? None of the performances that I've seen from Nicolas Cage suggest to me especially given his uh, contribution to the Croods 1 and 2, would change my experience of the movie. Okay. Okay. And victory horns. I'm out. There you go. So um, what I was going to say, there are brief flashes in this movie because they're sort of, they're sort of referencing uh, your Powerpuff Girls, Sailor Moon, uh, sort of thing. Magical girl so kind of thing. Okay. Yeah, you're you're looking at a Pixar animated movie, right? Right. Which somehow uniquely does not at all look like The Incredibles, does not at all look like Luca, and does not at all look like Soul. I don't know how it manages to be distinct from all three of those, but it does. But randomly, a person will make an emotion, and their face will flash to a style reminiscent of full-on Japanese animation and just in a brief second. And that face fits well on the designed body that is still typical Pixar animation. Now, now does, now, you, you said second generation. Do, do these people come from uh, Japan by, by chance? So like, uh, I, I'm, I'm 
not 100% sure, but I'm just saying that this, like the main character's family came to America from overseas. Okay. Yeah. So, um, I, I mean, I, what I liked about this movie a lot is, is basically in a nutshell, uh, you have a character who's turning 13 and there's, she's been an overachiever her whole life and she's trying to live up to expectations her parents set for her. And this is developmentally the transition period where kids start to think of the world in terms of their own morality, not just that of their parents. And that's risky because sometimes that makes kids get involved in things that aren't in their best interests. Uh Um, Now, some people argue against this movie as one that portrays the initiative of a 13 year old as being better than the initiative of the parents. Like the kid should be allowed to just go with her friends to a concert without parental supervision because she's 13 now and she is going to twerk whether you like it or not. Yeah. Right. And I, I don't, I honestly, it's funny because like, if I, if I had just left out the part that says without parental supervision, I should be allowed to go to a concert with my friends and twerk whether you like it or not. That's not terrible. That's it's a 13 year old and whatever. The parent needs to have a conversation with their kid about uh, complications in the world. You're turning into a teenager. You're interested in boys. You're doing this kind of thing. And it really, it's not even hundred percent my place to say. And that's why I love so much the scene with the dad. Um, because this is really about a daughter and her mom and their experience and a flaw that gr- their family has grown with that they see as a flaw, but it's not always about our dark, the darker parts of who we are being a flaw. Uh-huh. And so there's an important undercurrent where the dad tells the girl, you know, we have these dark things to us, but sometimes you embrace the dark things. You don't try and bury them because that just leads you to feel ashamed of yourself. And like, there's something wrong with you. And when the truth is that this girl's friends can accept and embrace her for who she is, including the, the, the red Panda. And that's the most fascinating thing about the movie is when she becomes the red Panda, it doesn't become a reason for her to be ostracized by her peers, which I feel like is everything we would have watched in the early two thousands. It's like weird. Uh, instead it's the family that's trying to cause her to follow along with tradition and reject the red panda at a ceremony. Ah, okay. So this, this, this feels like it's leaning like heavily in, into uh, a, a, a very strong, like, like Japanese notion of, 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 of what, of what family is where uh, the whole guidance around Japanese society is, is I will do nothing to make myself stand out for, for the betterment of, of the whole. And so, yeah, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Right. That's actually pretty significant. Yeah. And so the idea is in this world, this girl is standing up for, I can be who I want to be here. Uh-huh. I don't have to like follow this. And yet the mom sort of represents the potential destructiveness and her being right about why their family is the way that, they, that it is. Uh-huh. But that's the thing that's individuality versus adults. And I think that's why some people are like, but it's a 13 year old. You don't want to preach to kids that are 13, blah, 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 blah. But the truth is, and especially this is just my opinion. There are a lot of adults out there who it's a really hard time period for your kid to grow up and start to want to take initiative and do things for themselves. But I've never seen and it's really annoying not being able to talk about like my real job and what I do for a living in this particular situation. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. I'm just going to say being just like this young sounding voice that you hear and just sort of, sort of eat it. If you don't like what I have to say, I'm sorry. Um, I've never once seen a kid who listens to their parents at age 13 and is okay with doing whatever they say. They are all hiding something from you, sneaking and watching the movie you don't want them to watch, sneaking and talking to the person you don't want them to talk to. They are all going out of the way to do these things. And if you were to just be open with them about these things, so they felt safe talking to you about it, when your kid accidentally watches the movie that scars them for life because they were 13 and they watched John Carpenter's The Thing, (laughs) 
You could talk them through the special effects, how it's all fake. You could sit down, you could have a night talking about movie making, and instead you turn it into you're scared, now you should feel ashamed too. Yeah. That's, uh, and that's that's what resonated so hard with this for me. That's what makes this a beautiful movie today is the way the girl shows off to her mom is by straight up twerking in her face. And it's, she's a red, she's a panda at the time. Right. But it's not okay. It's still not okay. But the, the funny thing is it's like, it's this 13 year old who's like showing off just in, in like an act of rebellion, just how, uh, far she could go to be rebellious to her mother and the whole concept is either get with the program that your kid is growing up and help them become an adult or try and force them to accept what you believe an adult should be and wait for them to pop off and make mistakes when they haven't learned you know later okay and and that's they, they there could be maybe more clarity to that in this but but I think I I had no problem taking that away from the movie. So I don't know. Turning Red was awesome to me. So. I believe that's all we've got for this week. Is there any closing thoughts that you've got, Curtis? Anything you want to talk through that groggly voice more about? Uh, not particularly. I mean, uh, as far as closing thoughts, I mean, I'm Curtis uh, with, with the, with, with the, uh, no garbage disposal of, of of a voice right now. You can follow me on uh, Twitter at nineties gamer four hundred seven. You can also follow me on Twitch at Merrick underscore attainment, where I am still playing through uh, Elden Ring because oh my god, as as much as I, I I love this game, I died like twenty times on the last boss. But hey, uh, that's part of the uh, charm is 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 gratification mm. through adversity. And I am Eric from High Contrast. And you can find me on Twitter at High Contrast FLM. Links to all of my different social media when you get there. And you might soon also be able to follow me on Twitch. If I haven't already, pretty soon I'm going to be starting a fan edit of Batman Forever, trying to turn it into the Schumacher cut. When Joel Schumacher passed away, before he did, he noted that there was a fan edit out there, the Batman Red Book Edition, that was essentially the closest thing he had seen to his original vision for the movie. So I'm going to be reaching out, hunting up the fan editor that did that. I know I can find them through the fanedit.org forums and I'm going to be putting that together and we're going to we're going to see what we can do there. It's a whole new thing. Hopefully I can do that soon. But, you know, go out there, be yourself, decide what your morals are. Hopefully don't turn into the asshole from the Tindler Swindler and embrace the Red Panda, but don't embrace too much of the Red Panda or the Boondock Saints will kill you and I guess that's everything. Hooray! Until next week.